One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at Shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It is an Arsenal-free weekend. Unfortunately, that's because of our game against Sheffield United not taking place until Monday evening, which gives the other teams in the title race a chance to put points on the board. Liverpool are away, I think, to Nottingham Forest. And Manchester City are playing Manchester United at home in the Manchester Derby. And listen, we all know what's going to happen. We all know. Manchester City are going to rip Manchester United apart into little bits. They'll do the post-match analysis on Sky and they'll they'll show some kind of a heat map, except they'll say, look, there is the spleen of Bruno Fernandes. If you look over there, you can see Andre Onana's concrete boots. And that thing right there, that, that red patch you can see before your eyes is Harry Maguire's head, detached from his shoulders and sunken into the earth like an Easter Island statue while Erling Haaland runs around, giddy on the destruction that he has caused, covered from head to toe in Manchester United blood, like Jack from Lord of the Flies, fueled by savagery and violence and... Another hat-trick, probably. Anyway, that's what's going to happen in that game. So it means that we're going to have to be on it against a team on Monday night who will be fighting for their lives. We're into that part of the season where every single point matters. Sheffield United at home. I mean, they look pretty doomed, but you take anything for granted at your peril in the Premier League. So we're going to have to do our job and wait for another weekend for the other two teams uh, to drop some points. We've got a doubleheader for you today. I'll be talking to Tim Stillman in a little while, looking ahead to Arsenal Women's North London Derby 
in what will be, hopefully, a sellout Emirates Stadium on Sunday. And we'll be talking in a second now to Amy Lawrence, just to give you guys a little bit of a heads up. Sometimes when you do recordings, it's perfect. You sit there, you talk to the guest. It's great. Conversation is good. Sometimes you know, there's a little bit of background noise. Sometimes for all of everyone's best efforts, a little bit of you know real life not gets in the way, but bleeds over into the podcast conversation. And there is a bit of that when I talk to Amy and a bit of that when I talk to Tim. So just to give you a little heads up, it's not too distracting. You can take my word for that. Okay, let's get on with the show. And it has been too long since we had a chat uh, with this particular guest. It's my pleasure to welcome back Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Hi, Andrew. How you been keeping, my friend? I'm good. It's, it feels like it's been ages since we did a bit of this. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, lovely to catch up. Yeah, it is. Let me ask you about this season and how mm. you feel it's going or, or your experience of it in, um, you know, with your dual hats on as, as a reporter and an Arsenal fan. You know, to me, it's sort of, do you ever listen to an album you don't get into it straight away? It takes three or four listens. It occurred to me that maybe this Arsenal team is a bit like that because the start, was it that convincing? I'm not sure about this. And as the season has gone on, I think I've grown to to really like what we're being served up, even the slightly weird eighth track on side two. It's a good analogy. Um, and I definitely think a lot of people can... Uh, resonate and and connect with that feeling of parts of the first half of the campaign of feeling a slightly unsettled, slightly slightly demoralised that you didn't love it as much as you thought you would. Mm. Because obviously last season set such a fantastically, thrillingly high bar for the enjoyment factor and for the kind of the thrill and the falling in love feeling mm. of you know, it felt like everybody was falling in love with the team and the team was falling in love with each other and they were falling in love with the fans and Arteta loved everyone and everyone loved him. And <laughs> it was that sort of first flush of like, you can't think about anybody except this yeah. source of your love. <laughs> um, you know, you know that feeling when you're in the first flush of love and you're like, I don't know, you're at work or you're with friends or something like that. And people are talking about other things and you're just, you're there, but you're not there. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Your head is in the clouds. And there was something so romantic about last season because everyone got swept along. You know, it was a real season of feelings mm. and new feelings and exciting feelings. And actually, you know, when you, when you, it's, when you say follow that, it's pretty difficult. In any walk of life, if it's another album, if it's a, the next, if it's a series that's been unbelievable, okay, let's let's have the second series or the or the, the, the next the difficult second film album or franchise or you know whatever. Um, it and actually, it's probably only with more hindsight that we've got now because we're still in it. It'll probably only be a bit further down the line that we can really reflect and assess what's happened this season mm. because. It did. It, it was a bit of a hangover to an extent, in that we weren't feeling it that much. Everyone had got to be used to each other, and it was like, you know, you you're getting irritated by someone who doesn't put the seat down or put the cap on the toothpaste, <laughs> or you know, does funny clicking sounds when they're cooking, or I don't know. The, that one the was little, very specific, Amy. <laughs> the little stuff that 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 
just gets under your skin about some of it. And you're like, it's just not as great as it was. I never used to notice this stuff. I was so happy. Um, but what I think's fab is that there's been this e evolution where we've had to almost take a step back, stabilize and, and go forward again, mm. you know, and that step back and stabilizing wasn't the best fun, but I think we can all see the value in it right now. Yeah. Because I don't think it would have been possible to go from last season into now immediately. Yeah. I think that evolution was a bit, you know, was too tricky. Sure. Because certain things had to go back to basics and certain things had to get reset. You know, remember, this was a team last season who gave away stupid goals for fun and had to cut that out. Mm. You can't keep being this thrilling, attacking wave of emotion team and sort your defence out and at the same time and control games better. And Rocky is agreeing with every word, if you can hear the dog. This he is a seal of approval is. of this evolution. Um, he wants your attention, that's for what sure. What do you want? He wants food. Um, do you want to get him I'll something? Tell you what, uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little bone break. Oh God, that sounds terrible. Um, gonna have a, gonna have a carrot break. I'm back. That's okay. So just you know how you're supposed to train dogs as a human. Mm-hmm. He's got you trained. I've realised he's now trained me. Yes. He's figured out that if he comes and makes a noise, that he will get, uh, I will give him food to make him Just be to quiet. make him be quiet while you're doing podcasts. I feel like such a fool. Dogs are I'm dogs are smart. I'm supposed to be the, the person who does the training, and in the end, I've been trained. <laughs> My God. Who knew? It happens to us all. Don't worry about it. They do uh, it to all of us. Every yeah, single dog owner can, can identify with that. But I'm... <laughs> I do. I really do think this is a sort of fascinating, a fascinating area to to focus on because of what was so special about last season, and because of how caught up in it we got for all the reasons that that you spoke about and the ways that you spoke about. And I wonder if maybe uh, continuing the metaphor, if we needed to get our hearts broken to be able to to love properly again, if that makes sense, or, you know, being more pragmatic about it. If, if as part of that experience, that learning experience, the, what would Arteta say? The suffering of the end of mm. the season was necessary for this team to, you know, take another little, another little step in its, its evolution. Like if Arsenal were ahead of schedule last season, and I think many people suggested that was the case, that nobody expected Arsenal to be title contenders or to stay in the title race as long as they did. To be there again is 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 quite something because we saw with, for example, a Newcastle team that were ahead of schedule last season, how difficult it is to maintain that and actually improve on that. I know you could pull out the numbers and say after X many games, Arsenal had this amount of points, but like it was the best start to the season in the club's history, like a long, long history. So you 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 have to do it a little bit differently and you have to take in those experiences to, to sort of guide you and shape you. I'd, I'd just love to have a half an hour conversation with Mikel Arteta and really ask. I, I'm, I'd love to know when... At the first half of the season, 
I suppose you can kind of split this season into into sections. You know, the first half that was okay without being brilliant, mm. and then the pretty horrible uh, collapse before Christmas, where I think you probably struggled to find too many people outside of London Colney that didn't think, oh, well, that's probably it for this season. Yeah. Um, and then what's happened subsequently? And who knows what, whether there'll be another segment, but it, I'd love to know if, you know, how Mikel fought in those first two segments. Did he, was he completely comfortable with it and thinking, this is fine. This is part of what we need to go through to be, to get to the place we want to get to. Mm-hmm. Did he believe that it was he in control of it as such? Even the bit when Arsenal, um, you know, really suffered and lost stupid games just before Christmas. Was he questioning himself and thinking, oh, this is not what's supposed to be happening? Or was he thinking, this is okay, we're gonna, we're doing the right stuff, we're going to get out of it and mm. come out the other side. And then when it clicks, I'm waiting for this click, and when it clicks, we're really in the right place. It's just be so fascinating because obviously he's learning. We're learning as supporters or observers of the team. We're all, everybody's learning these sophisticated tweaks and so on that the that the team are getting used to. They're all learning. And actually, I don't know, you know, what your life experience is, but there really is no better way of learning than learning on the job. Mm. You know, learning something um, as a theory and then trying to put it into practice is one thing, but there's, you know, the the most effective kind of get under your skin, like inspire you way of learning anything and seeing if you can do it and how you feel about it all is when you're actually learning while you're doing something. Yeah. And this team have done that fantastically well this season, really. Fantastically well, particularly lately. They, they imagine how they feel at the moment. Yeah, I mean, look, because at, yeah. it probably feels even sweeter and even better and even more. I'm just curious as, as to whether they feel more confident with it that they've learned this way compared to last season. Where last season everything's happening with a spontaneity and a kind of like on the hoof, if you like. Yeah, this one feels more methodical. Strategic. Okay, let's sort this out. We've had to add this bit. We've had to tweak this bit on top, and the curiosity is is if whether that method means that when it comes to it the real you know squeaky bum mm. encounters that that they can hold their nerve and be more secure about what they're trying to do because of the way that they've been absorbing these lessons yeah i mean you learn lessons when you lose a game i'm sure that you know they look back at that little period over christmas i mean it, it it is a reflection of how quickly football and football opinion changes when Arsenal were top of the table at Christmas and everyone was singing jingle bells. And then a couple of a couple of days later, after a couple of defeats, it's like, oh, well, this is not the plan. Then you go out of the FA Cup. But but I think you have to take from every defeat, you have to take some measure of of learning. And I think they've done that. And I do wonder as well if part of part of the way the squad has been built and part of the way the season has played out has been deliberate in as much as you can try and peak if that's the right word at the business end of the season you know i think it's difficult because you know everything in football is so random and arbitrary at times um you can say we'll we'll come to our peak in 
April, but if you lose four games in August, it's no fucking good, you know? So you you have to be on top of things in, in a way. But when people talked earlier in this season about Arsenal controlling games of football and and removing some of the jeopardy from the opposition, I thought that was really interesting because it, it, it always felt like a platform for something on top of that, if that makes sense. And this I think after, I think after there's Dubai... There's control and there's control. It's yeah. like the control of the earlier part of the season doesn't look anything like the control of now. No. Which is wild, you know? Mm. And credit to these players. And I think when we think about something like recruitment and how that feeds in to what you see on the pitch, you know, on, on, on a match day. And you almost like rewind the whole story back to those first bits of like, okay, we're looking for this type of player and this type of, you know, what, what can we do? And mm. all the stuff that goes into all of that. It's really obvious that like any top team, that the people who Arsenal are trying to bring in are of a, of a certain character a certain type, a certain intelligence, a certain um, personality. And I think being sort of smart enough to learn uh, and not thinking you've done it all, mm. but being, being, you know, what they call in academy systems and stuff, a good learner is actually quite a characteristic of this team because the majority of these people who've come in um have all shown, or a lot of them have shown, that they've got that willingness to do whatever it takes to get better. I was going to ask, fine tune, yeah. you know. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this because Edu talked about it um, before the game against against Newcastle, and he said in, uh, many times in certain conversations to recruit the players, you don't see the character of the player, or the character of the player does not fit well with what we're trying to do, and then you have to move on and find what we're really looking for. So it's obvious that they, you know, they want the talent, they want the quality, they want the ability, they want the potential of, of players to, to come in and grow. But if the character is not right, then they'll take a swerve on that. And I think Arsenal, over the last three, four years, have had to learn some some hard lessons or go through some difficult processes when it comes to character and personality and I'm not blaming anyone I'm just saying that these things exist top level sport this particular Arsenal team for the talent that's in it for the the potential that's in it it feels fairly ego free like a really a quite humble group which is I think quite unusual and quite rare uh, in professional it is at the football, very, very top level yeah. as well, because, and I think even when you look at the characters, for example, of the Invincibles, you know, of Arsenal's last title-winning team, there was a group where, you know, again, that those certain qualities of intelligence, high into these were smart people, mm. you know, absolutely make no mistake on that front, and although a lot of them were clearly phenomenal. They were also open-minded enough to not think they'd done it all, whether you're a Dennis Bergkamp or an Henri or, you know, whoever. But I wouldn't say learn necessarily, but definitely have that sort of uh, 
have that right mindset mm. that you need in a team. But what I do think they had more of compared to this team, like you say, you talk about the humility of this team. I think that the Invincibles team had more charisma mm. in terms of the personalities. There were more people there who had very strong opinions, a lot to say for themselves. They would challenge each other. They would provoke each other if necessary. They would demand of each other. Um, I would say in a way that they, someone like Granit Xhaka, personality, not player-wise, I'm talking purely as a human being, probably had more in common with what was going on in that dressing room sure. than maybe the current Arsenal dressing room. And I'm interested to see how these uh, young men also take on the the pressures of trying to compete at the highest level for the top prizes um, when they are by nature quite humble, mm. it seems sort of subtler uh, personalities, not quite so much, let's just say, um, extrovert. <laughs> determination sure i mean do you think that's you know what i mean do you think that's a, a question of maturity in that many of these are young guys uh, you know at 22 um it, it might be that or do you think it's a generational thing like do you think the mm. the, the way many i think of it's the also a reflection of how you get on with your manager and the kind of environment that your manager creates because arson was someone who liked to put an environment in place and kind of let the players get on with it. And that provokes and challenges. their own problems out. That, that provokes challenges, doesn't it? When you say, well, yeah, I'm going to yeah, leave yeah, it up yeah. to you, or like the, the stories I mean, where a player would come to him and say, you know, what's going on? And he'd say something, you know, oblique. And they'd be like, yeah. what? What? <laughs> You yeah, know, and yeah. then they have to go off exactly. and try and figure out what he meant. Exactly. Whereas I think Mikel is obviously so much more micromanagement yeah. within him and his staff that obviously, you're, you know, you, you, it would probably be a bit too much friction if you had very strong personality players with, you know, very, very demanding mm. um, detailed managers. So maybe the kind of, you know, there's a, a, a bit of a contrast there just because you're looking at the whole picture and the picture is not the same. But what you can say is that Mikel has, with the, you know, with the support of, 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 you know, the owners backing and the staff around him, he's put together a, a squad that is so credible as a, an elite football team. And to have take, to have done it in the way that he has with this kind of like crest of a wave of emotion last season and, mm. and, and, oh my God, look what's possible, but oh God, it didn't happen. And then being, uh, I suppose, really it's sort of so organised enough to analyse it and think, well, how can we repair some of these things that were costly? What's the best things that we can do here? Mm. And to try and make that happen. Um, and let's be honest, there was plenty of people, and I, I include myself in this, scratching my head a bit in the first half of the season saying, Havertz, I'm not sure, Raya, I'm not sure, this, I'm not sure, Zichenko, da, da. all the usual things that people mm. have been querying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where's the logic in that, Mikel? You know? And somehow he's, it's all beginning to make a hell of a lot more sense.
yeah. in this team. Nobody knows if it's the you know if it's gonna <laughs> how far it can go. Um, we're up against some serious heavyweights, but I think the credibility of this team and what it feels capable of doing it feels slightly different from last season because it almost feels like it's got a bit more depth, yeah, and a bit more seriousness. I, I agree about the seriousness because last season was. Uh, Jolly is the wrong word, but it was like you were smiling the whole time and it was fun and people were singing the Saliba song and dancing around and that's great and I'm not taking anything away from that. But I think the Newcastle game perhaps is a great illustration of the seriousness of the team. And when you talk about Mikel Arteta and you, we see a very passionate guy, obviously, at times on the sidelines, which annoys people, which is great. I love that. Um, but, you know, a, a very serious guy as well. You know, from everything we understand, he's a really serious guy. He has his standards. He has his non-negotiables. And these are the things that he works to. But I think some of those things are now being reflected in the team itself like Newcastle would have wanted to come to the Emirates on Saturday night having had a free week Arsenal have been in Porto had a bad result had a poor performance and they would have wanted to come and they would have wanted to uh, be physical and be aggressive and you know annoy us and upset us and maybe get knock us out of our stride Arsenal just did not let them do it mm. They just would not allow them to execute their game plan in any way. And maybe Newcastle were poor on the night, but I think too often maybe we look at opposition uh, and say, well, they were really poor without giving sufficient credit to the team that's made them look poor because, mm -hmm. you know, are West Ham brilliant? No. Do they get beaten 6-0 every week? Also no. Mm. You know, so I think there is something about, um, what was the phrase? where it was an article in the Sunday Times and you know, one sporting director referred to Mikel Arteta as a steely little fucker. And I think, I do think that this is part of what he's trying to build, like serious players who are taking everything so seriously because they know you have to, but at the same time, you know, getting them out on that football pitch and, and trying to express the talent that they have but also within the structures that he is, you know, it, I think it's a really curious combination of things, personality versus control versus, uh, you know, there's, I think there's something just really interesting happening. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I just, that phrase, when you think about the team he walked into, mm. it feels almost ridiculous because, you know, there was very little steely fuckery about, that team no, no, at all um so to have kind of remolded it in the way that he has i think also what i really love when you try and take a step back and have a slightly bigger perspective on it all i don't know about you but i remember at the beginning when he was appointed and you know it still seems mad that this was his first job and i still remember when he was appointed thinking like wow this is exciting but this is a call you know, mm. he's never managed a game ever, really. And and when you look back at that and you think of how he has learned on the job and created this thing in his old own image, I still recall that feeling of thinking, 
is is what he's going to be going at Man City like? Is that the the goal? Is that the realistic end game here? Mm. Because obviously Arsenal couldn't be Man City for lots of different reasons, and nor in many ways maybe do some people want to. But it's not like for like, right? No. So you're looking at this Pep disciple, and you know there are similarities. And yes, and and at the beginning, the way that he was trying to get the team to play with that sort of precision organization and patient, you know, whatever, but with not good enough, not players of theirs, the same standard. You're thinking, mm. is that it? And do you, do we want to be Man City like? But what's so marvelous is looking at Arsenal now is that that's not who Arsenal are. Arsenal are Arteta's Arsenal. Mm. He's made his own template up and it's taken a while yeah and it's sure. taken lots of different stepping stones and tangents and diversions along the way to deal with immediate problems that you get when you're a manager and stuff happens but overall he's gone from unsteady fuckery if you like in the team to this kind of brand of you watch. You get an, a, a fan of any any other team out there, and you sh- you know show them a, a match of how Arsenal been playing recently with like do something clever with AI, and they don't look like anybody or whatever, and it's mm. like PlayStation with funky colours or whatever. Right. And you're like, oh, they play, that that's that's Arteta's Arsenal. He's kind of created his own thing there, and that's really impressive. In a first job, I mean, Jesus. Sure, I mean, wow. Have people maybe because of the the the, the weird dichotomy in football, where in order to be good and be effective, you have to you have to have some kind of a medium to long term plan. Realistically, you know, if you're mm. trying to build something or create something, but at the same time, you are being judged game to game on a really really short term mm. basis. I mean, have we stopped to think about how hard the job has been or was to go from where we were when he took over in in the end of 2019 to where we are now? I think that'll only happen if there's a trophy. Yeah. That's when people will stop and try and find perspective and context and look at that big picture. Because as you say, while you're in it, it's just not the time to do so. But it is an incredibly crazy juggling act to be dealing with short-term result by result, day by day, training session by training session stuff, and mm. also have this mid and long-term plan. But I I remember Edu chatting um, just in passing, maybe a year or so ago, and he really made gave that impression of that's what we're doing. You know, we've got, we've got our short-term thing and we've got our medium-term thing and we've got our long-term thing. And it needs for everybody, it needs to have a stable unified club for that to happen mm. this goes back to Mikel's, you know favorite word i don't hear him say it so much anymore but there was a point where unity was the word for him mm-hmm. and when you think about how disheveled and fractured the club as a whole was prior to his arrival um and that was his first that was the, the first short-term goal was getting a bit of unity mm. him and he went on and on and on about it and you probably could draw a direct line from that starting point to you know 
you looked at the atmosphere before the Newcastle game, the flags, the North London forever, the light show, the kind of, you know, it was pretty rocking in there. And yes, you could argue some of it might be a bit contrived, but nobody cared because everyone was just well into it. Yeah. Um, and that sense of like everybody inside that stadium of an Arsenal persuasion being completely together throughout that Newcastle game and feeding off each other, you know, that was what he wanted mm. to try and get building towards from day one. Sure. Um, and, but behind the scenes, when you look at, you know, the whole club, you look at what Man United are trying to do to re they're, they're trying to basically, they're at ground zero almost of, of starting afresh a yeah. with all the new people they're bringing in and they're going to, you know, try and get it all together. But uh, it needed the owners, the the um, executive leadership team, the manager, the experienced players, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to all be basically believing in, for want of a better bloody word, the process. Yes. You know? Well, I mean, wasn't... And it wouldn't have happened without that. I don't think. I don't think it can happen without that. No, 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 no. I mean that 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 joined up um, thinking and s strategy at the top of the club has to be has to be there. I mean, when you talk about Man United, people scoffed when I think Ralph Ranić basically said mm. at one point, "This club needs to be fucking knocked down and rebuilt." Like yeah. it need, what did he say? They need ten players. This club needs at least ten players, but they need obviously more than that. And they need some some kind of identity, um, which I hope they never find. By the way, <laughs> um, you know we have we have found ours, and we have. Um, seen the benefit of of having, as you say, intelligent people making decisions about how players are brought in, and not every transfer is going to work. But you know, you're not, for example, dealing with, as we saw this week, the repercussions of of a Nicolas Pepe transfer, which was exciting mm -hmm. at the time, but didn't work out for all kinds of reasons, and you know, financially, you know, was was not a good one um, for the club, but. Well, it might have been good for some people, but you know. Uh, but <laughs> there you go. But I mean, this this is the sort of the the era in which we exist now, where where I do think there is an alignment. You've got young, talented, relatively young, uh, talented executive people at this football club who are um, you are all singing from the same hymn sheet. And you know, if uh, I don't want to make it too much about the owners or anything like that, but I think maybe they have learned from some mistakes as well. Definitely. They learned from having their eyes opened. Mm. Things really began to change when it was pointed out to them that if they just let let it be, it was not running in the way it should. No. And uh, that trust they had... For people to just take care of the club was yeah, it needed it needed oversight, mm -hmm. and the minute they put the oversight in, things started to change. It changed the it was a sliding doors moment for this football club. Yeah, whoever was responsible, and it was hard to get to them. There were people around who tried to get to the Cronkies to say, "There's stuff going on here." You know, I don't know if you know what's going on, but it's not right. Mm. It's not good. But people couldn't get to them to put that message across and whoever the person was who finally got that message to where it needed to go and it was heeded 
that was a sliding doors moment for the football club. An, an unsung Arsenal hero right there. Mm. Let me just ask you this to finish off. Do you feel Arsenal are better equipped to go the distance this time around? You know, it is difficult, of course. City are what they are. Liverpool are very good and they're riding a sort of a, an emotional wave, which is, you know, carrying them through some maybe difficult periods with players out injured and, and everything else. But they have this sort of jetpack of motivation because it's Jurgen Klopp's final few months at, at the football club. But, you know, if Arsenal can get a couple of the injured players back and use the experience and, and continue the form that they have shown domestically, are there enough characters, match winners, leaders in this team to really, really push it all the way. Whether we get there or not, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I, I hope we do. And I think if we're talking about sliding doors moments for, for Arsenal Football Club, I kind of feel like this, the title this season would be one of those because of what it would mean for all kinds of reasons. Um, but, the, you know, players like Saka, players like Declan Rice, you know, uh, maybe some unsung heroes like Gabrielle, you know, these guys who are there and consistent and and delivering week after week after week is that enough to to fight off the the two that we're fighting such a good question i mean for those slightly different reasons that you mentioned those two are are so 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 difficult to to square up to mm. um so that's kind of the the baseline, but I think there are the, the couple things that are very favourable compared to last season. One is not being out in front. Mm. I just think that has a huge impact, especially if you've not done it before. Um, it's a lot. I, I think for this group, that maintaining that hunger without getting the, the yips or the terrors is a bit easier if you're just just tucked in just behind. Mm. Um, the second thing is that, you know, the word control, which we used before, and the word maturity. Um, there's just a different feel lately. I mean, it's hard to predict that Arsenal are going to keep bashing everyone in four, five, six. It would be fantastic, but I suspect that there'll be a few that are ferociously and terrifyingly a lot closer than that. Yeah. Um, but I think that they, I think as a group, they have that better understanding and probably better control over their nerves. I was, I was really interested by the Porto away game, which is the first game in a while where I felt Arsenal looked a little bit edgy and nervous, you know? Mm. Um, and there was that sense of like Champions League knockouts. I, oh my God, this is massive. Because for obviously most of them, it's, it's a first. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just seeing if they can master the emotions a bit better this time um, and if they can master their emotions and the football can can be freer to take care of itself that's going to be a help even Mikel Arteta and the staff they're more mature in terms of this type of experience mm -hmm. um, I would say Arsenal feel better equipped 
to have a, a you know a better run in but again so much depends on on keeping people fit and although there have been some pretty major injuries to contend with this year i think the fact that particularly that kind of defensive triangle if you like of saliba gabriel and declan rice these great big huge imposing fantastic presence mm. top defensively minded athletes it's a fantastic foundation and you know i don't want anything to happen to any of them i don't want anything to happen to Bukayo or you know who's mm. unique i think in what he gives you don't want anything happening to Erdegaard. You know, there are certain players. Sure. Arsenal have managed to juggle around to deal with X or Y not being available. Um, and it's a fascination that they've scored so many goals without Gabriel Jesus, which is probably a subject for you know, a podcast all of its own. Sure, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think that, that keeping the high presence huge aura players of the team fit is massive. Mm. All right. Well, let's hope we can do that. And let's hope that this season uh, plays out uh, the way we all want it to. Um, Should it do that? Yeah, bring it on. Uh, Amy, is ever a pleasure. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much indeed to Amy Lawrence. You can find her on Twitter. She is at AmyLawrence71, at amylawrence 71, and of course, writing about Arsenal for The Athletic. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog.
Okay, Arsenal women are in action this weekend. North London Derby at the Emirates. It looks like it's going to be sold out. Arsenal doing amazing things when it comes to selling tickets for the Arsenal women's team. But what is it that Arsenal are doing that other clubs aren't? And what are the benefits to Arsenal women of that? We're going to chat about that. We'll talk a bit about Jurian Timber and Jorginho as well with Tim Stillman. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And it's probably not just going to be me because I'm working <laughs> with my daughter at home. <laughs> so you might, you might hear um, uh, the interjections of a three-year-old, um, which might be more intense than my interjections. Well, that's, so. uh, yeah, that's that's fine. We had Amy on in the first half of the show and we had interjections from her dog, Rocky. <laughs> so, you know, it's like uh, we're giving people value for money today with a range of guests and background appearances. So it's all good. Right. <laughs> Let's start with Arsenal women taking on Tottenham in the North London Derby at the Emirates on Sunday. It looks like at this point that this game is going to sell out again, which is kind of incredible. Um, we were talking about this just very briefly before we started talking and, and the numbers that we looked up. The average attendance in the in the WSL for 22-23 um, was 5,272. What Arsenal are going to put in that stadium on Sunday is significantly bigger than that. How, how are Arsenal doing this? Yeah, and that, that figure is, by the way, with Arsenal having had three games with over 45,000 mm. last season in the WSL. So they got to a stage where they sold out the Wolfsburg Champions League semi-final. This season, they were, they were about 500 tickets short of selling out the Chelsea game. Then they sold out the Manchester United game, and at the moment, they're looking good to sell out this game. So it, it's absolutely curve-wrecking. Arsenal will have the top six WSL record attendances after this weekend. And really, there, there are quite a few factors about how Arsenal are managing to do this so quickly. The, the, undoubtedly, the biggest multiplying factor is the success of the England Lionesses at Euro 22, because I think in 22-23, Arsenal played Chelsea... Uh, sorry, 21-22, Arsenal played... Tottenham at the end of that season just before the Euros and it was 9,000 they played the same fixture in September and it was about 47,000 I think so the success of the Lionesses the fact that Arsenal have the captain of the England Lionesses Leah Williamson although she isn't the captain of Arsenal this is there's like a Mandela effect thing going on <laughs> where all these major outlets keep saying she's the captain of Arsenal when she's not. They also have Beth Mead, um, you know, Lotta Wibben-Moy, who are members of that squad. They've subsequently signed Alessia Russo. So there's a there's a big Lionesses factor there. And anyone that goes on Sunday when they read out the teams, when they read out some of those names, you'll hear it, mm. basically. So th there's definitely the Lionesses is the biggest multiplying factor. However, that is applicable to more clubs than just Arsenal, and Arsenal are the only ones getting these kind of numbers. And and some of this is Arsenal have been very smart about how they've marketed some of this. And one of the factors, Arsenal have a lot of expertise behind the scenes from people who have experience of events where they actually need to be marketed. So I believe I'm right in saying Juliette Slot um, was part of Ascot, for example, mm. um, and oversaw a, a boom in attendance of Ascot. So, Because obviously at Premier League clubs, you do not have to market the tickets. At Arsenal, you put the tickets on sale and two minutes later they're gone mm. and that's it. So they, they pulled a lot of expertise from behind the scenes, from marketing, from commercial, from content as well. And Arsenal assembled like a little task force 
basically um, around, you know, marketing the women's team and, you know, just doing really simple things like early bird pricing. Some of you will have heard of the home advantage pack. So you can buy a season ticket just for the Emirates games at a discount. They do quite clever things like making club level quite cheap. Um, I think that's £35. And so a lot of people who think, ah, I definitely can't afford club level for a men's game, Mm. but I'd really like to go in club level and this is a good opportunity for me to do it. So lots and lots of little things like that. The other thing as well that Arsenal have been quite far-sighted about in their marketing is they've been confident enough to sell it on the basis of the women's team. So you will not see any tweets from men's players. You will not see anything from Mikel Arteta to try and like curry ticket sales or anything like that. Is that deliberate? Yes. Yeah. So a kind of decision was made. Actually, we think Leah Williamson, Beth Mead, you know, Alessia Russo, Vivian Miedema, we think these players can sell the get the tickets on their own. And they're right about that. And anyone that's going on Sunday who's been to any of these games at the Emirates, if you haven't noticed it before, I'd say, first of all, look at how how many people wear colours, right? It's it's everyone, basically. It's like well into the 90s percentage-wise, which you won't get a men's game. And look at how many of them have their shirts personalised with a a women's player. It's, It's become like a big market, and a lot of the interest in women's football is driven through individuals. Lots of people will support clubs because of individual players. And Arsenal have been quite smart to recognise that, as well as, I think, tap into things like the stadium rap, where I was involved in those discussions and lots of Arsenal fans, fans, even who aren't that engaged with the women's team, said they wanted them on there. So I do think Arsenal have got a head start because of their history. And even if a lot of fans are only tangentially aware of the success of the women's team historically, I think everyone's aware of it. And that gives Arsenal a real head start because a lot of our competitors are trying to do Mm. that now. They're trying to embed the women's team. Arsenal kind of already did that 20, 30 years ago. I mean, is it fair to say that there is and has been a, you know, a growing, I don't want to say distinct because I think Arsenal have been very good and done it the right way that Arsenal Football Club is Arsenal Football Club it's the men it's the women you know everyone's under the same umbrella and I think that that is um, to their credit in a, in a very big way like we are Arsenal whether you're um, playing for the men's team the women's team the youths or whatever it might be but is it fair to say that there is a, a somewhat distinct and growing fan base for the women's team I'll give you sort of just an anecdotal uh, example, mm-hmm. I've got a cousin who lives and has lived in London for 35 years, whatever it is now, and she was always a big Arsenal fan. But I was talking to her recently, and, you know, she can't get tickets for the for the men's game, but goes to the women's games and really enjoys the the difference, if you like, in, in terms of energy and atmosphere and, and um, you know, all of, the, all of the things that you've talked about and written about when you, you, you do it on the Arsenal Women Arscast, that there is, it's a different experience at a women's game from a men's game, which isn't to say one is better than the other, they're just different, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But has that sort of developed its own um, distinct fan base? Like maybe some of the fans of Arsenal Women don't really care about 
the men's team. And we know <laughs> we know that there are lots of fans of the Arsenal men who don't care about the women's team, which is entirely their prerogative. Which and, is you fine. Know, absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely fine. But but you know, their their connection to Arsenal is through the women's team almost um almost completely. Yep, a hundred percent. So there's a couple of things going on here um that you've kind of touched on there. The first one is, and I think Arsenal are realising this, there is some overlap, like people like me um, overlap, but that you're right, there's a lot of people who either not only don't care about the men's team, but support another men's team. So I know someone who's, um, you know, who's, who's uh, big in the supporters club. She supports Derby County, it's where she's from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she played for their women's team at one stage, but she supports Arsenal women because Derby County you know, they have a women's team, but they don't put very much into it and it's mm. not a very rewarding experience to watch them. So you do get that. You get people who support another men's team or else don't really care about men's football. And that kind of comes into the other part of this. And I think what clubs like Arsenal are realising is there are a lot of people who are, ex- uh, it's probably too much to say excluded, but don't feel included by the men's football experience. So first of all, yeah, it's difficult and expensive to get tickets anyway. Mm. But even leaving that aside, like there's a massive like young female, um, when I say young, I mean like that kind of late teens, early 20s. You'll see that a lot at the Emirates, like people who um, perhaps feel like, I like football, I do support the Arsenal men, but I don't really like there's an underlying testosterone at those games that that people don't like or feel uncomfortable with them. When they go to a women's game, they don't experience that where it's it's still just about majority men in terms of it being over 50%, but it's not like a men's game where it's like 80, 90% mm. um, kind of male. And that's, that's a, like a better atmosphere for it. I want to be careful as well because there's a lot of tension with like the growing fan bases as well about, you know, oh, it's just like a fun family day out and like no, like people care about it. Of course. And they feel yeah, passionate yeah. about it. And there's a bit of a debate at the moment because like Arsenal women fans, like they, they're swearing at games and they've like, <laughs> they've, they've re-instituted uh, that age-old football tradition of doing the, oh, you're shit. Ah, at the goalkeeper, which unfortunately faded out of men's football some years ago, but it happens at Meadow Park in particular. And you get these people like, oh, I don't like that. And But at the same time, I kind of think, whether it's my place to say or not, that that almost feels a bit sexist to say that like women can't swear and women can't go and enjoy a game and have a bit of like banter with the opposition goalkeeper. Um, you know, without it becoming like this kind of puce-faced screaming abuse, which I really don't think it is. Sure. So there's like lots of these little interesting dynamics, but you're right. There's, you know, Arsenal women, again, brand-wise, very, very secure in the women's game. And I think what the club have realised as well is this is a growing area and we've got a head start. Use it because the cost of catching up in 10 years' time could be significant. Yeah, And another thing that's really, perhaps we can go into this in a minute, but that's really underplayed about this, this gives Arsenal a big financial advantage. That was my next well. question. That was my yeah. next question. Because, you know, I can remember we, you know, obviously uh, spoke down the years about, oh, maybe, maybe games are going to be played at the Emirates and like, would it be financially viable to put the games on? And now you're selling out the stadium. To what extent you know, is there a a distinction or a compartmentalization between 
what's generated at these games and sort of the club's overall revenue. So, like, if the Arsenal women sell out 60,000 tickets and, um, you know, generate a whole load of revenue, does that go into the central coffers or is there, you know, some percentage of that that is... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? They're using fucking government all the time, like so you should know. Allocated, uh, yeah, allocated. <laughs> but yeah, there's a specific term. I can't, I can't remember what it is. But the pot, as it were. Yeah, you know, does it all just go right back into the middle, and you know, you get what you get, or is it a case that from these gate receipts, from the 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 sort of increased exposure and the the revenue that the women's team are bringing in, does some of that go right back into the women's team? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the, the accounts aren't crystal clear on this. Essentially, what happens every year is Arsenal write a check for the women's side of the business, and it says in the accounts, we don't expect this back. But Arsenal have been very public about trying to make their women's team not only like financially sustainable in its own right to mm-hmm. stand on its own feet, but profitable as well. Um, and, and I think they're relatively close to doing that to be honest particularly with with these like i'd imagine a lot of this goes back into the women's team's budget it does also have to be said like on one hand this is great for the club because particularly when you've got the tottenham hotspur stadium and the olympic stadium down the road and they're doing concerts and nfl and stuff like this like arsenal have lost a bit of an edge in that extracurricular mm. stadium use but if they found a way to sell out their stadium another six seven times a season it's very very advantageous for them should be said that obviously the ticket prices are cheaper and i think probably the next step is those prices coming up a little bit but at the same time something i'm told is that um the armory uh the the arsenal um kind of shop Mm -hmm. on site at the Emirates pulls in more money at women's games than it does men's games because of the type of people that 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 go to these games like I said women's football fans are merchandise junkies they love buying the shirt they love personalizing it they love having that no no this is I bought this because I'm a women I'm a fan of the women's team Mm. and to do that it's much easier to do that when you have like Williamson or McCabe on the back of it and the WSL patch. And so there's a big like commercial element to that, um, which is, which is really advantageous, even if the ticket prices, you know, they're not the same as the men's team ticket prices, but in terms of the financial advantage it gives to Arsenal, this is something Jonas Eideval spoke about, which I think gives us a hint that most, if not all of this money is, uh, you know, intended for the women's team. He talked about, how in the men's game, prize money drives, well, being owned by nation states drives a lot, but prize money really, really kind of skews the revenue in the men's game. That doesn't really exist in the women's game yet. Like the Champions League, basically you get your costs covered more or less. Mm. Like you don't really win very much money for getting to the semi-final or anything like that. So it's a little bit like the old days of men's football where gate receipts are I was going to say king, maybe I should say queen mm-hmm. uh, um, to kind of, um, you know, take out the gender bias in the language. But gate receipts are huge. And that is something that at the moment Arsenal have that nobody else has. So Chelsea have been using Stamford Bridge a bit. They get like 12, 13,000. Man City don't really use the Etihad a lot because they built their own purpose-built stadium about 10 years ago that holds 7,000 and 
but both Chelsea and City own their women's team grounds, which are smaller, whereas Arsenal do not own Meadow Park, Boreham Wood. So Arsenal have a bigger incentive to make the Emirates Stadium work. Sure. Um, so there, there's all of these kind of little things going on. But in terms of revenue, you know, I'd be fascinated to see the next kind of financial results because Arsenal will be killing it by selling all of these tickets. Like Arsenal women, their average attendance this season is about 31,000. And that's considering that four games have been played at Meadow Park, which holds 4,000. That would put them 11th in the Premier League for average attendance this season. So that that tells you what you're dealing with and the level of like mm. gate receipts that they're getting relative to their competitors. Hugely positive. Um, it really is. Um, just looking ahead very quickly to the game on Sunday, what sort of shape are the the women in for this one? Are there injury issues, some problems? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are quite a lot. So the first thing to say is we owe Tottenham one because um, we lost the reverse fixture before Christmas. That's the first ever time that Tottenham women have beaten Arsenal women. Um, but yes, there's a lot of injury issues. There is... Uh, a gold cup going on for the Bowl and CONCACAF nations. So Arsenal have two Canadian players and an American player who will be unavailable. Lots of doubts over availability of a, quite a lot of players um, at the moment. Katie McCabe went off for Ireland in midweek and Leah Williamson had to pull out of the England squad. We had three of our players playing in Austria in Melbourne yesterday morning. Uh, for a 10-0 win over Uzbekistan. So that was a really good use of their time. <laughs> um, it, it qualified for them, them for the Olympics. But uh, Vivian Miedema and Victoria Palova had to pull out of the Netherlands squad. So there's loads and loads right. of question marks. And even with the size of Arsenal's squad, which is now gargantuan in size, um, you know, the, the subs bench might be full of 16 and 17 year olds alright well look you know you can always rise above when it's a North London derby there's a lot at stake and in front of a sellout crowd I'm sure whoever is out there will uh, will do what's necessary for Arsenal to come away with the right result let's just shift uh, over towards the men's side for a little bit um, I didn't get a chance to talk to Amy about Jurian Timber his return to training is is a really positive thing for Arsenal. It's still going to be a few weeks before he gets um, you know anywhere close to playing competitive minutes in the in the Premier League mm-hmm. or, or the Champions League because a return to training is very different from a return to play. But it is a positive development, a positive step. It'll add to the squad at a, a key point in the season. And I wrote about this a, a bit today on the blog about you know everyone's talking about Timber. He's our best left back. <laughs> And, you know, I went through the options that we have at left-back and the minutes that have been played at left-back and Tommy Asu has played, Kivior has played, Zinchenko has played. While over on the other side, poor, lonely Ben White is basically the only right-back we have available to us of, of uh, you know, one that you would be confident to have on the pitch in a big game anyway. Arsenal have played 37 games this season. He's played 36 of them. So... Yeah. You know, it it does strike me that when Timber comes back, there might be a game or two that, you know, he could be used on, on the left-hand side. But more than anything, I think he, he'll he give us some depth and, and quality on the right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this will be the second season, really, that we've had to really flog Ben White. And I really think that 
big part of buying timber was so we mm. wouldn't have to do that again. I guess on the upside, Ben White no longer plays for England for reasons that um, <laughs> I don't think are entirely public, but I just choose to believe he can't be bothered. Uh, that his his disdain for football is such that he just can't be bothered to play for England, which he, I think would be. He fair can only enough. give so much of a shit. Like once he do, you know does yeah. it does his best his professional job for Arsenal, like he's got no more shits to give about football. It's yeah. like what we're playing Malta Macedon. No, 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 I'm not doing that. Who could be Arsenal? Is, is it Malta away? The sun's out there. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll do that one. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. Clearly, I I think with Timber, my view has always been Arsenal were always kind of slightly secretive about like they described it as an ACL injury but they didn't really I don't recall reading the word rupture or anything like I think ACL injury is always serious don't get me wrong but mm. I, I think they were a little bit cloudy about what type of ACL injury my, my view on Timber has always been any anything we can juice out of him this season at all is a bonus I'm kind of really looking at next season. I, I imagine as well, with the gaps coming up that we've got in our March calendar, yeah. maybe some of that time will be used for some kind of internal friendly to really get him up to speed for post-international break. Maybe he can be some kind of meet in the room on the bench for a game if, if that's necessary, um, you know, without really the intention to come on. Um, but yeah, I you know I, I I just found it really confusing how it, there's been this like Chinese whispers thing with his fitness where every week since about November it seems like someone says Arsenal expecting Yuri and Timber back like next week or something. It's yeah, like, yeah. Not. Like what are you talking about? But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, on the, on the women's side, uh, when you cover that enough, you become quite acquainted with what ACL timelines look like. Mm. Um, and you're right. Like, I mean, I mean, full training is is a big step, but it's still a couple of weeks, and I suspect that will take us into the international break. We'll probably for have sure. an internal friendly. If if he can be in the squad for games in April, you know, maybe contribute minutes, take minutes off Ben White. You know, when we're six nil up away from home, as we always are nowadays uh, at Man um, City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He can have the last twenty minutes of that <laughs> game. Um, you know, but. It, anything we get out of him this season with and this might um this might make him really strong for next season you know because you never quite know how someone will come back from an injury like this if you can ease into the end of this season bit of time off good pre-season and mm. then come into next season flying that would be really nice yeah i mean the the thing about um i, I looked into this a bit and did some average days out thing uh, for players who've had ACL injuries and there was Hector Bellerin, Callum Chambers, Rob Holding, Mohamed Elneny. It sort of came in around 250 days before they got back on the pitch and made their made their return. At the moment, I looked it up this morning, it was like 198, 199 days for, for Timber. So it's still quite early. But if you consider that, you know, he's unlikely to play for a couple of weeks, then there's the international break. And then there's Man City on on December or no, March 31st, um, you know, that, that brings him to that kind of ballpark. It'd be about 232, 230 days, you know, where he might be able to get some minutes under his belt. And, and I think, you know, when we, when we consider what might be to come in April, you know, fingers crossed we can turn things around against Porto. Um, the Chelsea game has got to be rescheduled at some point, mm -hmm. you know, 
April and May could be like literally every three days. So having someone yeah. like Timber, even if he's 20 minutes, 30 minutes for a couple of weeks, could be really, really important. And and players like um, Thomas Partey coming back, maybe Zinchenko, Tommy Asu sounds a bit more of a doubt at this point, unfortunately. Gabriel Jesus, I think it looks to be close to back. Uh, uh, you know, those guys are just going to be so crucial for what is going to be like a massively hectic schedule, which kind of brings me back to sort of like, you know, when we did win things and did win the title, like the, you, you get going, you get, you get momentum and you keep that momentum going. And that's how you get over the finish line. You know, that this, mm. this idea that like, it's somehow going to be unfair that we've got to play all these games, but this is a consequence of being where we are, where these games really, really matter both domestically and hopefully in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've got a lot of 70-minute players and maybe at the moment we've got a lot of 20-minute players and uh, maybe yeah. those things can match up. Like in the first half of the season, um, unfortunately before they both got injured at the same time, I think we kind of worked out that Zinchenko, Tomiyasu could be like a 60-30, 70-20 mm. type partnership in, in either direction, frankly. And I think you could see that that was kind of the plan um, for this year. Maybe it's the same with White and Timber. Maybe there was a kind of, you know, one week it will be 60-30 Timber-White. Next week it will be other sure. direction kind of thing. Um, and, and I do get the sense as well after last season that some of these players ha have been held back a little bit. Like, I think there's a world where Partey, for example, Jesus could have played or taken some part in the last couple of games. But I think there's, first of all, you know, when you're in really good form, mm. there's a kind of, okay, maybe we don't need, like this Havertz-Trossard thing is working all right. Maybe we don't need to kind of risk Gabriel Jesus here and save him, yeah. for particularly because the last bit of the season is literally started by Manchester City away. Like that post-March international break, that's, that's your run-in. Mm. Um, you know, slightly going into football cliches territory here, but <laughs> that, that's kind of your run in there. And it starts with City away and, and he'll want as many of those guys available as possible, even if it is only like, particularly with Jesus, it sounds like this issue with his knee hasn't gone away really. Um, and Arteta's press conference today, like slightly cagey on that. Um, you know, pretend like I love it when managers do that. It's like, oh, that's a question for the doctors, as if he hasn't spoken to. Them. Yeah, yeah, as if he doesn't and, know fine well exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, th that's one for the doctor, and, and as if like the journalists in the room have access to the doctors to go and ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll just we'll bring them out next. Actually, we'll do the press conference with them. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it kind of sounds like they're going to manage that. And that, to me, suggests they've kind of held him back and said, okay, mm. let's manage. I'd, we'd rather manage you through April and May than try and manage you in February and, you know, we end up Salibering you. Because that's what happened to Saliba last year, right? That yeah. back injury he got against Sporting, that, that started before in a mm -hmm. game against Fulham. And that, well, that was a kind of progressive injury, as it were. So I do think there is a sign that some lessons have been learned. I think... You know, look, maybe we played Gabriel Jesus at Nottingham Forest and it does kind of sound like he shouldn't really have played that game, even though he won it for us. Yeah. But at the same time, I do feel we're quite a long way away from that very famous scene of Thomas Partey 
limping off at Spurs away and Mikel Arteta <laughs> shoving him back on <laughs> to the pitch only for his hamstring to completely explode yes. at that point and he's never really recovered from that. So maybe some lessons learned, but I definitely get the sense there's a, look, we can handle Burnley and West Ham away. We can't manage Man City away without these guys. Yeah, that's for sure. And just very finally, it's being reported that... Um, Jorginho are so set to open contract talks with Jorginho, according to Mark Man Bryans, um, following a string of standout performances. He's, he's out of contract in the summer. I thought Arsenal had a plus one on the, the deal that they mm. have there. That was my understanding, that there is already an option for that for the year. Uh, this report says um, starting point expected to be a one plus one offer from the club. But whatever about that, it, it is an option. I think there is an option for another year. Is Is that one that you would be comfortable with Arsenal taking up? Um, he's 32, he'll be 33 in December. I think the thing about a player like Jorginho is that he's never been the most physical. He's never mm-hmm. been the quickest. And I don't think you lose that much of what you don't already have, even if you do get a bit older, where I do think he's he's still very good. His, you know, his technical experience or his technical ability, his experience, his quality on the ball, the calmness, the being there, done that, seen that, worn the fucking T-shirt, the whole lot of it. Mm. You know, I, I still think that in a specific role in specific games, he could be a very, very good asset for Arsenal. Yeah, definitely. He he's an Arteta region as a player. Almost, um, yeah, yeah. Not not le- I mean he plays a lot like him. I, I actually think Jorginho may be slightly better than Arteta was in that role, albeit I, I've got a bit of a weakness for underappreciated kind of deep lying playmakers. Um, because I was one uh, myself, um, but very un- underappreciated, um, I-, I might add. But and like that kind of quasi coach thing going yeah. on. Like I think there's a timeline somewhere where Jorginho is the next Arsenal manager, is what I'm saying. Uh, he takes over from Arteta, but yeah, I- I'd do that in a heartbeat. Not least because Arsenal are going to lose El Nenny, albeit I, you know, I don't think that's going to be a massive loss given the level of his role at the moment. I think Thomas Partey's got to go, um, really, mm-hmm. and that that's that. Two of the really useful things Jorginho has done for us is to make Partey's unavailability less of an issue and also to make Zinchenko's brittleness less of an issue because he really does something very valuable for us when Zinchenko's not in the team. He's almost like, kind of almost like Zinchenko's replacement um, in terms of what Arsenal do. But also, I think the rest of his importance is that this is a young Arsenal team. And I think they kind of at least always need an adult on the pitch. Like, because it used to be Xhaka and you could count on Xhaka to play every game in the season, but they kind of lost that. And then you've got Partey, who's 30, but he's never available. Like, you know, Jorginho, Trossard, these are kind of the adult players. I I kind of put Jesus into that, even if like age-wise he's still quite young like I think Arsenal always need one of those players on the pitch and Georgie like we've seen you know how he's deployed in the bigger games as well and that's partly about his style but also his experience as Mm. well and I bet money that if Arteta could have the Porto game back the one thing he'd do is start Jorginho um, in that game because Arsenal really struggled to possess the ball in any 
any kind of meaningful way um, going forward. And something that's really, I think, underrated about him is how he gets the ball forward. It's not crab passing. It's not side to side. Like, he gets through those lines. And not mm. a lot of our players, do, Partey does that. But again, never available. So who cares what he does, really? So I, I, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I'd absolutely do it in a heartbeat. It kind of sounds to me like maybe there was like an 18 months plus one. But that plus one bit is always quite ambiguous because it depends where the balance of power is. It, and yeah, it kind and also of sounds my- like it might, the balance of power might be with him. And what Arsenal might be saying to him is, let's have that plus one yeah. and put one year on top of that. There might be, you know, a, a sort of a time frame on that as well, that, that that option has to be taken up by X date and maybe mm-hmm. something hasn't been agreed. So it might require new terms uh, going forward. But yeah, certainly uh, he, he's a player that I would like to keep around. We'll see what happens with that. Um, anyway, we'll leave it there, Tim. Let's uh, keep fingers crossed for Sunday, of course, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a million. Absolutely. My pleasure as always. Thanks a million to Tim. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Stillmanator, at Stillmanator. And if you want to read all the best coverage of Arsenal women, including on Sunday, a match report with all the goal clips, post-game reaction quotes from the manager, maybe a player or two, just check out the Arsenal women section over on Arsblog News, a dedicated section, the best coverage of Arsenal women that you will find absolutely anywhere. Right. We're going to leave it there for now. We will have a Sheffield United preview podcast for you. I think we're going to do that for you on Saturday morning so you can join myself and Lewis Ambrose looking ahead to our game at Bramall Lane against Sheffield United on Monday night. You'll find that at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. If you haven't signed up already, it's just over a five or month it means you get access instant access to all the content we have there as well as supporting everything that we do here at our blog and just a final word for this particular episode this week on february 27th arsblog.com the original website turned 22 it was 22 years ago this week when i wrote the very first post on arsblog and it's amazing that all these years later we're still here a lot has happened on the pitch and off the pitch and i just want to thank all of you for being with us however long you've been here from the very start 10 years ago one year ago one week ago we really really appreciate it and appreciate you and your support and everything else so thanks a million take it easy have a great weekend and we will catch you on the next one until then cheers bye bye Okay, guys, listen, thank you so much for waiting around today. It looks like we've got a bit of a decision. Sadly, 
the move to Arsenal is not going to take place. But good news, good news. You don't have to go too far. Chelsea are going to stump up, pay the big money for you. And you will be a Chelsea player by the end of the day. Mikhailo, you must be absolutely delighted. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.